Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello and welcome to All the Things. This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And once again, I am here with our my partner, one and only Monique Dusan. And uh, I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and I'm excited to discuss a really big cultural issue of today. In fact, they were just doing congressional hearings still today about unidentified aerial phenomena. We're supposed to call them UAPs now, not UFOs. But um, we're going to talk about it tonight with a person who I know you are going to enjoy. Some of you who have met Ken Samples through my Theology Mom podcast are really going to enjoy hearing from him tonight about this topic. And I have a very special co-host since Monique isn't here, really, because we all know there's there's really no substitute for the one and only Monique Dusan, but a close Second is the fiery and sometimes sassy Melissa Doherty. Welcome. Hi. I like to think that I'm fiery only sometimes when I need to be. But hi, welcome. Thank you for helping me. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to help out. Yes, glad to have you here. Well, let's get into it here. And um, the U.S. government has finally pretty much acknowledged the existence of un- unidentified anomalous phenomenon. We're supposed to call them UAPs now. This is That's the strange. politically correct word. Um, and we did do, Monique and I did do a, a show a couple of years ago uh, with my friend, Dr. Mark Clark, who is also from Reasons to Believe. He, he is a long time uh, working in a government intelligence. And we had him on, it might have been three years ago now, than when we had him on and talked about these issues. Um, so since it's been in the news again, you know, thought it would be good to circle back, kind of go at it from a different angle tonight, looking at the issue of experiences, contactee experiences, and some of uh, how do we make sense of those things in light of the Christian worldview? I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Um, going into it, Melissa, what what kind of thoughts do you have? What What are some of your questions? Yeah, you know, so... I just, I'm filled with curiosity on this topic. I interviewed my seminary professor about, you know, aliens, UFOs. I am, you know, I would say safely interested, but I'm so curious. I want to know, I I didn't really watch a lot about the, you know, the, I think it was like in Congress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't watch a lot of that, but I, I have questions, you know, like, why are we bringing this up now? Have we always known this? And I think of the great late Dr. Michael Heiser, who wrote in a, a fictional series about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure if you ever, people don't know that, but I, I read it, uh, and it's the Facade series. And it's about this, like what we're talking about in a fictional sense. Mm. And he is basically saying, you know, they're interdimensional beings. And um, he covers, you know, Area 51. And I'm out here in New Mexico. So, I mean, Roswell is only yeah. a few miles away from here, right? And so it's kind of like a, Mobile phenomenon in that sense, you know, Roswell and the aliens. And I'm very much full of curiosity to know more about this. What are these things? Um, you know, I have a new age background, more new thought, but uh, growing up, my mom had a 
belief in aliens. She experienced, you know, what she would consider beings, you know, and uh, people have heard me talk about this before, but she calls it her visitor. You know, it's just this thing that has visited her throughout her whole life. And uh, she thinks that it might be alien in origin and it's kind of unclear, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand with this topic. It's of interest. And I think it's growing in curiosity with a lot of people, especially Christians. They have questions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of people have questions and I'm excited to bring our guest on tonight. Yeah. My friend and former colleague, Kenneth Samples from Reasons to Believe. He's a philosopher, theologian, uh, former researcher at the Christian Research Institute with Dr. Walter Martin. Welcome back, Ken. Hello, Krista. It's good to be with you. Oh, it's great. Great to have you here. So I think this is your first time on all the things. You've been on my Theology Mom podcast a few times, so some people may have seen you there, but excited to to have you on here to to talk about this curious topic of alien encounters. Yeah, it's uh, in the news. And it is. Very timely. It's made a resurgence, and so... Um, you know, it, I think it's one of the big questions. How do we, how, when we think about the big questions of life, where did we come from? You know, some people think in terms of uh, outer space. So I think these are very relevant questions. So since this is your first time on all the things, you might be new to some people. Give us a little brief introduction of who you are and how you got interested in researching alien encounters and contactee experiences? Well, uh, my background, as you, as you mentioned, my first work in the field of Christian apologetics was with Walter Martin at the Christian Research Institute. And uh, Walter had a lecture on UFOs, and I remember listening to that. As a, as a young person, I read Eric Von Dottiken's Chariots of the Gods. Um, I was a big Star Trek fan, uh, the original series, and saw all the motion pictures. And I am a lifelong student of World War II, and both Allied and Axis pilots uh, talked about what they called the Foo Fighters. That is, uh, the pilots in the in the Second World War saw certain things that would track them. So all of those kind of things I found to be very interesting. Uh, when I started studying uh, cult groups and new religious movements, um, I was uh, asked to, to look into UFO cults by Alan Gomes, who was a professor, uh, was my professor at uh, Talbot School of Theology. So all of that then led to my time at Reasons to Believe, where with Hugh Ross and Mark Clark, we wrote the book, Lights in the Sky, Little Green Men. And what I really like about the book, even though it's 21 years old, I like it that you have three authors writing in their fields. You have Hugh Ross, who's an astronomer, so he can he is very knowledgeable about space. Then you have Mark Clark, who knows a great deal about the military and uh, what's happening in terms of uh, you know, the secrecy of these types of issues. And then with my background in religious cults, I think you you have a, a pretty good analysis. And so uh, that's kind of how I became interested and, and began writing about the topic. Now, I do find it interesting on Amazon, your book is uh, used copies are going for $180. 
I wow. think I might have a couple of those in my library upstairs. Hey, I, I've, I've got a few. I might hawk. So, uh, <laughs> right. But you can still get it on Kindle. So, right. There it is. But what's interesting to me about the book, and, and I had just started working at Reasons to Believe when that book came out, and it feels like such a timely book, even though it was written over 20 years ago, because it's almost like the world's coming around to your way of thinking, you and Hugh and Mark's way of thinking, and um, uh, things that you guys said 20 years ago, things that Hugh Ross said back in the 1970s are pretty much where the conversation is going today, which I find very interesting. Um, Melissa, why don't you jump in here and and uh, get us started with the conversation? Yeah. So um, another question that, you know, we have for you is about, well, they're not called UFOs. What are we calling them now, Krista? UAPs. UAPs. Yeah. So that's going to take some getting used to. Um, the yeah. 80s kid does not like that. Um, what is your what are your thoughts on those? Are they hoaxes? Are these real? Is there credible evidence for flying saucers? Um, this is something that I always wondered since I was a kid. Yeah, let me make a couple points here. Uh, number one, you can differentiate between the question of extraterrestrial intelligence, like, you know, SETI and the scientific analysis. You know, could there be solar planets out there? Could there be intelligent civilizations in outer space? By the way, in the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas asked that question. Uh, his, his point was, it's possible, but he thought improbable. But it's interesting, Christians have been thinking about these issues uh, long before you know our modern world. So you can differentiate kind of that extraterrestrial intelligence from what I would call the UFO phenomenon. And I think that's particularly true when it comes to the religious phenomenon. Now, uh, you know, to think broadly about the topics, I, I think that there are three broad uh, explanations of what UFOs or UAPs may be. And sometimes UAP stands for unidentified aerial phenomena. Sometimes it stands for unidentified anomalous phenomena. But there are three broad theories. The first one is the very skeptical view. I think it's the simplest explanation. Uh, and that is that it's, it is just a misidentified phenomena. People are either seeing, they're misidentifying natural things or human things. They're seeing ships or they're seeing stars or something like that. Or there are hoaxes. Uh, or, and I think this really does need to be taken into consideration, it could be that the images that people have on their cameras or radar, it could be that there is a misreading. Um, and that has to be looked at very carefully because uh, it can show images that look, wow, what, what the heck is that? But it's really, it's really a defect in, in the imaging. So the broad explanatory theory of misidentified phenomena, I think probably, uh, and we say in our book, anywhere between 90 and even possibly 99% of UFOs or UAPs could be explained purely naturally. The problem, though, is that there is a small percentage that resists a purely natural explanation, and we call those residual UFOs. Mm -hmm. Now, a, a second theory, and of course, this is the very invested theory, it's the extraterrestrial view that uh, that maybe there are actually highly intelligent 
space aliens from another galaxy, and they have traversed these incredible distances, and uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, physical crafts with physical aliens. Uh, that's that is a popular theory, but it has lots of challenges and problems with it. Uh, we could talk about some of that tonight if you'd like. And then there's the third interpretation, and that is what I would call the interdimensional hypothesis or the interdimensional uh, theory. And that is that uh, maybe most UFOs or UAPs can be explained naturally, but there is this small percentage that operates like they're from another dimension or like they are paranormal. Mm. So they may be spiritual realities. You mentioned Michael Heiser. He, by the way, when our book came out, wrote a very positive review of our book. Mm. So that third view is they could be from another dimension of reality. They could be paranormal. They could be demonic. Mm. I think that has uh, support. Now, obviously, it has its challenges too, like all of the theories. But that's kind of the the broad sweep of those th three major explanations of this unusual phenomenon. Yeah, and what's interesting about that too is that our worldview allows for us to kind of look at the spiritual element of this, where if you have a naturalistic worldview, it's like, oh no, we can't look at this as being like some sort of maybe even interdimensional because everything's material and yeah, so I mean, so there's a small percent. I have so many questions about this. This is so cool. Um, the the element of the of UFOs being mistakes uh, kind of resonates with me because I think people do this even with paranormal paranormal phenomenon where everything's a ghost, right? Or like everything's something spiritual, but it it could really easily be naturally uh, be explained away with natural phenomenon, right? Like, oh, there's a natural explanation. But then there's this real small percentage that's like, well, what do we do with the one that we can't ex explain or express? You know, like one time I had something thrown at me in the middle of the room and I'm like, I have no natural explanation for this. How did that happen? Um, so I have to kind of uh, reason that that was super natural. So, uh, Krista, do you have any questions? Anything? Yeah. Have you kind of Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump in here and just build exactly on what you're saying there, Melissa, that um there does seem to be a certain amount of credible evidence mm -hmm. that there is this residual that doesn't have an, a natural explanation. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the two competing theories, Ken, that I hear you saying is that um, either it's physical craft and physical aliens that have traversed great distances of the universe and have are providing us with visitations or it's some kind of interdimensional being and experience. I guess what I'm wondering, Ken, is in your research, um, what kinds of credible experiences have you looked at that um, that made you think like, okay, there's something there's something here. We can't explain all of these away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think this this has come out over the last couple of years uh, in the Congress looking at these types of issues where you have Air Force pilots. Now, remember, Air Force pilots are highly trained. Uh, they may be they may be Navy pilots as well. They're highly trained. The government spends millions of dollars 
training these pilots. They know what to look for. Uh, and and they have seen crafts, and many people have before. People in the military, uh, even private citizens, have seen strange phenomena that seems to defy the laws of physics, where they make right-angle turns at thousands of miles an hour, where in, in our world they would burn up, or they disappear and then reappear. Or they they have no uh, they don't give off any fumes like they have an engine or a motor. Well, there are people who uh, have seen these kinds of things that that defy uh, seemingly the laws of physics. And then the, the deep idea of them being connected with something deceptive. Uh, now here I'd, I'd speak a little bit about the UFO phenomenon. Uh, UFO phenomenon. From its very beginning, and you can trace it back, you know, to the early part of the 20th century. But most of the people who have uh, talked about being contactees, where they've encountered aliens and the aliens have given them religious revelations, this is called the contactee movement. So the Urantia book, the the Aetherius Society, Heaven's Gate. Remember the group near San Diego that committed suicide. In, 1997, believing there was a craft behind the Hale-Bopp comet. Well, uh, this is deeply involved in the occult. Uh, in fact, uh, some of the best researchers in the field have said that probably the U first UFO religion came out of a seance, spiritualism, um, a, a deep indebtedness to occult phenomena. So who, who are the kinds of people that see UFOs? Now, again, this is a bit controversial, but uh, many people who dabble in the occult or have a deep involvement, they tend to see phenomena like this. So I think, uh, I think most UFOs can be explained naturally. And again, I think one, one very important point of the misidentified phenomena is could they be perceiving distorted images based upon uh, the camera or whatever it is that they're taking images of. That has to be looked at very, very carefully. But there, there is still this small percentage that defies a purely natural explanation. And it has what I would call the calling card of being uh, either from another dimension and from a biblical point of view, malevolent. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the occult is... Uh, associated with the devil. Well, we're going to get into that in the second half of our conversation. For now, I just want to play a quick clip um, from Fox News. It's from a former government official. He served on the Trump administration. And this is a clip from 2021, where really now we're hearing the government say things that you and Hugh Ross and Dr. Mark Clark said over two decades ago about the nature of these craft and how they behave. And we're gonna get some obligatory shaky camera footage in this, but we're gonna watch this really quick 90 second clip that I think really summarizes what you're trying to say about how these craft move and defy the laws of physics. Let's go to the clip. 
Frankly, there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. Some of those have been declassified. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about objects that have been seen by Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that, um, frankly, um, engage in actions that are difficult to explain, that um, movements that, uh, that are hard to replicate, that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that you know, exceed the sound barrier without a, a sonic boom. So, in short, um, things that we are observing that are difficult to explain. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's actually quite a few of those, and I think that that information is being gathered and will, will be put out um, in a way that the American people can see. We always, when we, when we see these things, Maria, we always... Okay, so that's just a really quick kind of summary from a former government official. People can go back and if they have a lot of time on their hands, they can read the 2021 report uh, that came out summarizing these issues. But Ken, he's really saying there what, what you're saying is that, you know, these crafts seem to defy the laws of physics. They they can travel faster than the speed of sound, but we don't hear a sonic boom. They just do things that aren't normal. Yeah. And so this kind of weighs against the theory that these are physical craft that have traversed long distances through our galaxy and that these are these are beings um in in these craft it, it, because they defy the laws of physics that seems to go against that theory so you lean more toward theory too of these are interdimensional beings um yeah maybe tell us about the whole, this is was helpful to me um, when I was first learning about this from you is maybe just outline for us about the different kinds of alien encounters. Yeah. Um, because I know we, we may have heard of the Steven Spielberg movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I don't know what the third kind is. Is there a first and second kind? Um, so maybe give us some ways of thinking about alien encounters. Yeah, this... Uh... This phraseology, UFOs of the fourth, even the fifth kind, uh, came out of people like Alan Hynek, who was one of the early UFO researchers. So um, this idea of the first kind would be some kind of, of observation of a UFO or, or, or something fairly close, with, within, let's say, 500 feet. But it doesn't leave any physical effects. So that would be close encounter of the first kind. The second kind would be where there is some kind of physical effect. Maybe uh, broken tree limbs, maybe scorched uh, ground, uh, maybe uh, car engines go off or something of that nature where there seems to be some kind of physical effect. Uh, close encounter of the third kind would be where people... The, the observers actually uh, identify particular beings within the craft. So those would be uh, the, the, the first three. And then the fourth would be some kind of close encounter that would uh, move into some kind of contactee experience. Now, again, um, you've had a lot of this for a very long time. I mean, you had... Um, uh, in the 
latter part of the 19th century, right before the 20th century, you had people seeing what they described as being like zeppelins or blimps or dirigibles. Uh, people identified that back then. I mentioned uh, the Foo Fighters during World War II. Uh, then you had Ken Arnold in the late uh, 40s, who was, was a commercial pilot flying over Mount Rainier. And he was he observed what he called uh, images that were that were tracking him, and they looked like saucers. Thus, the term "flying saucers." And of course, in the by the fifties, this became uh, very fascinating to people. You have UFO groups, UFO cults being formed. You have government investigations, uh, Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book. It was wrapped up by 1969. And I think that you're right, Krista. Uh, some of the pushback that we got when our book came out in 2002 was by skeptical people. I remember one skeptic said, this is the most intelligent analysis of a, uh, of a nonsense subject I've ever seen. And I thought, well, uh, at least he thinks our analysis is good. But there are lots of skeptical people who say, and by the way, I think the, the simplest explanation is maybe it's just all misidentified phenomena. Again, I'm going to add that point. If I were to revise our book, I would ask my two other offers, authors to look very closely at images from cameras and how they're detected, because I'm told by specialists that can make some very strange things. But having said that, uh, the issues of extraterrestrial intelligence. I mean, think about some of these things. It is very difficult to, to traverse trillions of miles in space. It is very hazardous. There'd have to be multi-generations of people traveling. Uh, can you imagine the kids? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, and this, and, and why would they do this? Why would they have all this investment? And why are all the crafts different? I mean, don't they have, you know, an insignia where they have, you know, aircraft from this and that. So it seems very bizarre. It seems the UFO phenomenon is very weird. And some people have called it high strangeness. So I think, I think there is something to the misidentified phenomenon. I think that, however, there is some UFOs that defy uh, any kind of purely physical uh, material element. And so I'm open to the extra dimensional. I have doubts about the extraterrestrial. It doesn't mean that there aren't extraterrestrial civilizations in space. From a Christian point of view, could God have done that? Um, I suppose he could have. Now, how would they be free creatures? Would they be fallen? How would then God go about redeeming those? Th those, are, those are very interesting uh, theological worldview types of questions, but I smell uh, the paranormal with this phenomenon. And I think uh, that struck me when I was researching um, the various issues. And, and, and I'm willing to say this, when I was writing my part of that book, um, and, and again, I, I'm not, um, you know me, Krista, I I have a lot of respect for my Pentecostal and charismatic friends and love them and respect them. I'm not deeply indebted, though, to that tradition. 
But I will tell you quite candidly, and my wife can even confirm this, we felt deeply oppressed. Now, again, I was reading occult literature because I was reading UFO uh, stuff. And that is one of the most oppressed times of my life. I was so glad when the book was done. And I, and I observed things that were just weird. That is so interesting that you mentioned that you were oppressed whenever you were looking into that topic. Um, I find it very, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you go down that road, if it's connected to the occult, it's almost hard to break away from that. Um, I also found what you said about, I was going to ask a question about the forms that the spaceships take. Uh, and then you you already answered that question, but you know, it reminded me of a, that, I think it was an 80s movie, Flight of the Navigator. Do you remember that? Do you ever see that movie? I don't think so. <laughs> so maybe it's just the the eighties, nineties kid in me. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of those movies where there was this young boy who traveled back in time with this spaceship, and it was actually a really good movie. Um, but I remember in the movie the that the spaceship would like change forms and things like that. And even as I grew uh, older, I thought that there was just this strange, almost like periodic change in what a spaceship was supposed to look like based on the era that you were in. So that, that was really interesting as well, um, as, as far as that goes, you know, that the technology, our technology changes, and then all of a sudden there's like a change in what these things look like. But yeah, is, you already- Is there something to that, Ken? I'm curious, I don't think I've ever asked you that. Is mm -hmm. Has these craft changed through the decades as our technology has advanced? I, I think what's interesting about this is you could make a case that the craft descriptions match as technology grows, but also as culture. Uh, the ideas we have in our culture, they kind of take that shape. So I would say there's two elements of that. They reflect uh, the, the growth in technology, but to some degree, they, they reflect our kind of ideas about uh, space aliens. I mean, we, we used to call them the grays, right? And uh, the, the first, the, in the second wave, I'm going to call it the second wave, the first wave would be just distant sightings. The second wave would be the contactee with UFO religions and revelations, UFO cults. But then there's that third wave of the abductees. Contactees always said, this is a benevolent, intelligent civilization that is here to give us uh, uh, religion, philosophy, technology, and they, they're here, you know, maybe so we don't use nuclear weapons and destroy ourselves. But the third wave, the abductee, they're not good. They are, uh, you know, they abduct people. I like to say their form of logic, they reject induction and, and deduction, but they like abduction. Uh, that's a clever equivocation. Ken's got jokes, logic <laughs> jokes, yes. But, uh, you know, the, the idea is that, uh, and I'll be perfectly candid, the mental health professional people that I've spoken with who have had abductee type of experiences, it hurts them deeply. Uh, emotionally, spiritually, people don't come away from these encounters, uh, you know, in a, in a good place. Well, let me ask you a little bit about the work of Jacques Vallée. You mentioned Alan Hynek earlier. Now, Hynek was a physicist, 
and was coming at the questions. Um, He was involved with Project Blue Book in the 60s and 70s and all of that. But Jacques Vallée was also worked, you know, with Alan Hynek. And Jacques Vallée is coming at things more from trying to understand the issues, I would say, maybe more from a religious angle. Uh, He's an interesting voice in this discussion because one of the things that I've grown to appreciate as a result of your research and Hugh Ross's research is that um, there are legitimate scientists out there trying to understand, study, and chronicle these issues. This Because prior to that, I thought it was all just a bunch of internet conspiracy theories and crazy people. But really somebody like Jacques Vallée comes along, he's a French scholar, and he's an interesting voice in this conversation. Maybe tell people a little bit about his work and his some interesting parallels, let's call them, with your own research about alien encounters and some of the common threads there. Because I don't believe Dr. Vallée is a is a Christian person. So, yeah, Jacques Vallée, I think he's still living. He would be in his 80s now. Uh, he is a French scholar. He is a specialist on computer science. He's also an astronomer. And he would call himself a ufologist. He uh, interacted with various people uh, in the study of these types of uh, realities. And uh, he's one of the first really credible people, I think, to give uh, you know this extra dimensional idea uh, a very serious look. And uh, as I have read his books over the years and heard interviews with him, he takes very seriously the idea that this could be from another dimension, and he identifies that there are certain connections with the paranormal. Uh, and so Jacques Vallée, um, you know, says we we have to look at this very critically and analytically. But yes, uh, I I have never uh, seen him respond to our book. Uh, but I think he would see a lot of parallels uh, in our book that I think that he would uh, readily agree with. I, I think he lives in San Francisco, and I think he's now in his 80s. I think what's interesting to me about Valet is that he kind of parallels your thoughts about the interdimensional hypothesis. And he has also noted, you know, that the technology has seemed to change over time. He 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 notes a number of things that um, you guys have noted in your research, and so I think it's important for people to understand that. Yeah, there's the the weird videos and the conspiracy theories out there and all of that, but there is a group of of legitimate scientists who do study these things and are trying to grapple with the data. And this, what appears to be this interdimensional capacity that um, they have and the impact that these encounters can have on contactees and, and abductees. Yeah, and, and Ballet would say very clearly that uh, there is an element of UFOs or UAPs that 
that is closer to religious phenomena than, than any other thing. And he highlights the fact that some people, that this has been a very negative and hurtful element uh, in their life. And so he's, he, he is a legitimate scientist. You know, he has a solid background uh, and he knows, you know, he's a computer scientist as well, but he reads philosophy and uh, I, I found him to be very impressive as a, as a thinker and as a scholar. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Ken, let you rest for a couple of minutes. We're going to go out and hear from our friends at Impact 360. We'll be see you right back here in two minutes. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back. Along the way, we will face obstacles and challenges, but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be, to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think, not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms, discover how to be, and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling and authentic community. Cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit-empowered kingdom influence. Hi, this is Ike Reeder, president of Birmingham Theological Seminary. I am so excited to tell you about an incredible opportunity that we have here at BTS. BTS has long been committed to theology and the public square. And one of the most wonderful and amazing programs that we have is our Doctor of Ministry program for students that have already completed graduate degrees in theology in apologetics. And this apologetics program, there is a deadline for August 15th in order to apply for this program. So we wanna make sure that you know about it. This apologetics program really is a fantastic world-class program. Not only do we highlight the philosophical foundations necessary to engage in theology in the public square, but we also highlight issues of Christ and culture, moral theology, even how to build your own apologetic ministry. In addition, BTS is the most affordable program on the market at $200 per credit hour. But even though we're that affordable, we bring you a world-class faculty of thinkers and theologians that have been committed to lifelong ministry in the apologetics field. This program is fully available online with classes that meet via Zoom on a weekly basis, but you have to act fast because as I said at the beginning, the deadline for applications is August 15th, and we have two spots left to run this apologetic cohort. We would love to see you as part of the BTS program as we help you on your journey to serve Jesus Christ.
And once again, I talked to uh, my friend, the president at BTS today, Ike Reader, and he said that they were extending the deadline. They wanted to get more people involved in the program. So there's still time to apply all the way to the end of the month. If you're interested in a doctor of ministry program in apologetics, it's the program that I'm in right now. It's a great program. The The cost is great. Go to their website and check it out, bts.education, and see if it might be a good fit for you. Okay, Melissa, I'm going to toss it over to you. I have a question about how aliens and UFOs might have a connection to somebody like Helena Blavatsky and theosophy. In my research, I learned that a lot of what we actually know today, as far as ancient aliens, even UFOs, can be traced back to Theosophy and Helena Blavatsky. What are your thoughts on that? This is by a scholar named John A. Saliba. He has uh, looked at the religious dimension. Here's the quotation from him. He says, many UFO groups have borrowed heavily from both spiritualism and theosophy. They've incorporated in their ideology the concepts of a cosmic wisdom and cosmic masters who exist on other planets. Their leaders often channel or communicate with these masters through psychic means, such as telepathy, or by entering into a trance-like state. So some of the some of the people who study UFO religion, uh, Jay Gordon Melton says the same thing, that much of these ideas came out of um, uh, occult ideas, seance, spiritualism, and here you have uh, theosophy. So that that's exactly right. Uh, almost, I, I would say it's very difficult to find any kind of UFO or, or UAP religion that is not deeply invested into occult type beliefs. That is so interesting um, and kind of worrisome at the same time. I was um, I'm glad that you elaborated more on that because the something else that I kind of think about as well is that if there's a, a spearhead, if you will, to theosophy and the occult and the connections that we have uh, to what we know from aliens today, it makes you wonder how ancient people, did they have any experiences like alien encounters that we have today? Is this a uh, phenomenon that's just kind of in our culture for the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years or so? Uh, do we have any documentation about that? There are people who write about uh, kind of UFO history. Some of them do talk about uh, uh, primitive societies having unusual experiences with images in the sky. Again, I, I to the credibility of that, I mean, the ancient aliens program and a lot of that, I, I don't think it has any good factual basis. I think it's full of lots of holes. Uh, but people have had strange experiences. And, and even even during uh, the Middle Ages, people saw unusual types of experiences. And if, you know, again, if we are to line this up and to say that some UFOs or UAPs, if some of that is extra dimensional and if, and if it's connected to the occult, then I don't think it would be unreasonable to conclude that people have encountered these things long before the modern world. Um, Ken, I want to, um, well, there's a couple of things I want to do here um, before we have to end. 
one of the things I want to really make clear is you, and you alluded to this earlier, but that in some of these contactee and abduction experiences, people get traumatized. They get they get damaged. Um, and I know that there can be a particular allure of watching these videos on YouTube. I get letters from moms who often, you know, have young boys, teenage boys. They get kind of captured by this lore. Yeah. And there are certain cautions that we as Christian parents want to um, be in dialogue with our kids about in how to give them cautions about these issues. And I'm wondering maybe if you can share some some thoughts along those lines of discipleship, of how to think about these things as Christians and as we're talking to our kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you want to address that. Let me let me give you a little quick comparison between contactee and abductee. The contactees, and again, these are people who are supposed to get uh, revelation uh, from UFOs, they viewed it as kind of a generally positive experience. People in the abductee, on the other hand, say it's been a very negative experience. Contactees have long-term experiences. Abductees, it's usually a single episode. Uh, contactees are given revelation. Uh, the abductees, it is some type of experimentation. And there are people, uh, it's rare, but there are people who have images on their body as if they have been experimented upon. Again, you have to look at that research carefully. Um, uh, also, the, the, the contactees, it usually ends in some type of religious uh, group, whereas the abductee, it's a change in personal beliefs. And so, uh, you know, I, I think parents should be very uh, discerning about these kinds of issues. Uh, we live at a time where the Internet can take you anywhere and unsupervised, you can expose yourself to all kinds of strange phenomena. But look, um, if the Christian worldview is correct, then there is an invisible war going on. Now, C.S. Lewis says, and he's one of my favorite thinkers, he says that the demonic, they, they admire two approaches. One where you become, you ignore uh, the demonic realm, or you become fascinated with the demonic realm. I think some people get pulled in to the occult and get pulled into things that are paranormal because initially they are fascinating. I mean, who's not interested in ideas that maybe there are people from another world you know, coming into this kind of thing. So I would, uh, if I, if, you know, if I were speaking to my children, mine are now grown up and moved away. Uh, but I would say, look, we as Christians, uh, we do believe that there is uh, a reality that is not physical. From a biblical point of view, we know that there is the demonic and it is deceptive. It is anti-Christian. Uh, and that we need to be thoughtful and careful. And I think parents do. Uh, you know, we, we always had that helicopter uh, parents, but I think parents have to be invested in their child's life, and they have to give them some way of thinking through 
you know, here's how a Christian approach would think through these topics. I try to do that in my book on worldviews, where I say, look, what is a Christian view of truth? What is a Christian view of knowledge? How do Christians relate to morality uh, and these types of things? So, no, I wouldn't want children, young people, teenagers to be dabbling in these topics. Maybe, maybe it would would not be hurtful. But then again, there are people who have been damaged uh, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, and some even physically. So these are, this is not a topic to play around with. Uh, you know, the devil, when you don't know it's him, he might look enticing. But you, once you encounter it, it's not where you want to be. And uh, I think we live at a time where uh, people view the occult and the paranormal. You know, these are that's just my religious leanings. And they're not aware that uh, the demonic doesn't have your best interest at heart. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's an element of all of that that you said that I completely agree with. Uh, growing up with a mom that was kind of sympathetic to those sorts of things. I have a follow-up question about the religious aspect of this. Um, this is something I usually ask, and this is something that I got really interested in when I was, you know, researching these many things. And one thing that uh, I found quite interesting was in these, I you you separated them, which I really appreciate, contact and encounters, two different things, that when the abductees, Abductees and abductees, yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah, th that was really helpful that you that you separated those two. That um, when they would call out to the name of Jesus, it was as if that had an impact on them, and it was it was repelling to them. And I'm wondering if you have any information on that, but also uh, what what kind of religious information do they give these people about Jesus? Yeah, great question. Well, uh, they mention Jesus. I mean, you can you can find it in the Urantia book. You can find it in various other groups. Uh, Jesus is a a type of spiritual master. Uh, Jesus is kind of uh, an extraterrestrial type of person. Uh, he is almost he's very similar to an Eastern mystical or New Age type of view of Jesus. He's not God's son, the second person of the Trinity. He is not God come and taken a human flesh, a single person with both the divine and human nature. And usually it, it is much more along the line of spiritualism, uh, theosophy, and things of that nature. So it's very much an Eastern mystical or new age. Fits a lot better with that than it does with classical Orthodox Christianity. That's really interesting. Yeah. Did you want to follow that up, Melissa? I was going to ask uh, about the if there's been any documentation, I suppose is the word, if anybody's had an encounter where it stopped if they called out Jesus's name or something like that. Like, is there some sort of uh, power that that name has whenever they have a, a, an incident happen? Well, th there have been people who have uh, become Christian after having kind of occult or paranormal UFO type of phenomena, and they have talked about uh, that Christ delivered them from this, uh, and they talked about, you know, the 
the psychological and spiritual effects, the negative effects. Um, and, and, and so I think there clearly are people who just as or people who come out of new age or new thought or Eastern mysticism and, you know, Christianity kind of brought them into uh, a new way of thinking about these damaging spiritual ideas. I think that I have encountered people, Christians who have moved away from these kinds of things and, and realized that they were deceived by it. And, and you know what, that's, that's a point I want people to give consideration to. Uh, if this was a good phenomenon, or if these were good beings, why is there so much deception? Uh, why is there? Why is it so strange, so peculiar, and so deeply deceptive? That that's always been curious to me. When we're thinking about, you know, how much this topic's in the news right now, I'm wondering how we can kind of use the topic of UAPs and alien encounters kind of as a bridge with our non-Christian friends. You know, I, I want to have exercise due caution about not being overly curious about all of the um, research because this does have a very occultic path that it can take you down. At the same time, I'm wondering if there's any kind of broad strategy that that we might think about to help maybe have a conversation with non-Christians on on these issues. I, I remember one scientist that I have a lot of admiration for is the physicist Paul Davies, who is probably an agnostic, but I remember him writing that if a UFO landed on the White House lawn, that would disprove Christianity. And I thought, wow, um, I wonder why he says that. I, I think one way of kind of tackling this is to say, look, uh, from a Christian worldview point of view, God is the creator of all things. He, he called or spoke or brought all reality into existence from nothing. We call this the creation ex nihilo. Could God have created beings in, in other worlds? Well, the more we know about creation, usually it expands, uh, it, you know, it stretches us further. But I would go back to Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas said, well, uh, it's possible he could have. He didn't think it was likely. And he did raise the question legitimately, would, uh, would, would Jesus have to go to those worlds and incarnate? Now, Thomas's view was maybe God would have another means of redeeming them. But the point I would bring people back to is Christians have thought, Christian intellectuals have thought about these ideas for centuries, and none of this, you know, is, is brand new. I like to say Christianity's brightest and best may have died a long time ago, and Christian history has a lot to teach us. So we can distinguish uh, between the question of extraterrestrial intelligence and this weird, strange, seemingly occult phenomena of UFOs and UAPs. Very good. And I think I'm wondering, too, if there could also be some fruit there with a secular minded person who maybe is a skeptic that there's anything beyond naturalism, that there's anything beyond this physical world, that talking about these kinds of experiences and, and the hypothesis of somebody like Jacques Vallée 
that these are interdimensional creatures. There is a certain compatibility that Christianity can account for a particular set of data that the naturalist cannot account for. Do you, do you think there could be any fruit there? No, I think that that's helpful. Uh, I mean, obviously, physicists talk about string theory. They talk about different dimensions of reality. Um, I think, again, you know, what what brought uh, C.S. Lewis to Christianity was that Christianity had robust explanatory power. It, it seemingly could explain the scientific. It can explain the longings and uh, religious views of people. It can explain our brokenness. Uh, I, I think, to me, apologetically, I like abductive reasoning. Now, not UFO abduction, but logical abduction, where you reason to the best explanation. I think Christianity makes a, a really good case for explaining the world, its fine-tuning, the universe, its origin, but also uh, the human heart, the, the human brokenness, our longing in life, and especially the life, death, and resurrection. So I, I think this is an opportunity to talk to our more secular-oriented people, but also people uh, in other religions. And by the way, uh, even Muslims and other world religions are fascinated by uh, seemingly uh, uh, UFOs. Yeah, that's good. Um, tell people again how they can follow your work at Reasons to Believe. We're going, I'm going to have Bob put on the screen again the book Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. They can get it for $6 on Kindle. I don't know. Probably not. That's after credits. $8.99 before credits, whatever credits are. So $8.99 on Kindle. Or you can buy a paperback for $180. I don't know what that is. But tell people how they can follow your work at Reasons to Believe. And since you're on the topic of logic about the book that you're just finishing. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, reasons.org, I think I've written 700 or 800 articles on all kinds of different topics on my blog page. And of course, my colleagues uh, write uh, in the areas of science, uh, physics, biochemistry, etc., so you can go on reasons.org. Uh, we have a store there. You can buy a paperback. It's a lot cheaper than that price on Amazon, let me tell you. We also sell electronic versions of it. I'm very excited about this new book that uh, Mark Perez and I have worked on, Krista and Melissa. Um, it, I, I really think that we are living during a very confusing time. So we're going to have a book come out next year called Clear Thinking in a Messy World. And we're going to look at a lot of the challenges that come out of kind of secular postmodernism, uh, that come out of uh, critical race theory and woke ideas, along with secular ideas and, and kooky Christian ideas. We, you know, logic, uh, it's no respecter of persons. It all of us have to be able to think carefully and critically. And and it's a book in which we try to help Christians particularly do just that. Very good. I'll look forward to that. I remember trying to really push for that book when I was working there. So I'm, it's good news that it's finally coming out. The All the Things um, family will know Mark Perez. We've had him on our show before to talk about policing issues and so that's great to hear he's going to be your co-author on that. So thank you so much for being here.
My pleasure. Uh, Melissa, pleasure to meet you. Uh, Krista, you do great work, continued success in the ministry and on your continuing education. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks, Ken. We'll see you. Bye-bye. God bless. Well, Melissa, what did you think? What did, what did, uh, it was fun. That was fun. How did you, was that good? The, I mean, I'm not moaning. Yeah, did, I mean, how did, how did you, uh, we're still streaming, but, uh, you know, Monique and I always like to talk about takeaways. Oh, like, good. what did you, what did you learn from that? Um, wow. Okay. So first I, I'm always really, really interested in the, oh golly, what is it? I was thinking between the two things, between the occult, but also the the aspect of of how Jesus has like an impact on that, like the connection with the occult and with ufology or ufology, I believe it's what what it's called, is incredible to me. That it's almost hard to un, undo the two, you know, like starseed work, um, things like that that I've seen people get really involved in. That it's all intertwined with with ufos and and the belief in aliens and theosophy and helena blavatsky and that aspect of it is very uh like just really telling whenever it comes to the spiritual side of it and and the fact that people have actually had release from that because they've called on the name of jesus that is always just an interesting thing to me yeah about you yeah i think i'm i guess my heart is just the reason i bring this topic up from time to time on my channel is from a parenting standpoint. Yeah. There's somebody close to me who, as a young boy, just innocently um, got interested in these things through comic books. Mm -hmm. And um, it is something that he started, his curiosity um, you know, about aliens eventually led him to having problems with night paralysis, even as a child. And so the demonic component is real. And I want Christian parents to understand that, yeah, there's a lot of weird conspiracy theories out there and the, the YouTube wormhole, you know, is, is there. But we've got to have some discussions with our kids about the, the, the balance between understanding something within their worldview, how to make sense of it, but not being overly curious about it because it can um, lead to consequences mm -hmm. and occultic curiosities. Yes. And it could be very innocent. And, um, but it was very traumatizing to this man as a, as a little boy. And um, I think that we have to um, it's a it's an issue of discipleship that I like to bring up on my channel every so often, simply because, um, you know, YouTube is out there, like Ken said, and there is a lot of content out there. And this does have religious implications. Okay. So yeah, and there's so much more. I'm sure we could have asked him and talked to him about. Yeah. Um, there are so many things uh, like even what you were just talking about sleep paralysis before we got on, we were talking about that and how it's just, there's nothing to explain the fear of a sleep paralysis episode. And yeah. why, are there, why are they always the same? Like, why is there always like a black demonic shadow being yeah. there? And that, and, and, and hearing voices sometimes, like it's, why is it always creepy? Um, and why is it always connected to occultic stuff, aliens, things like that? Yeah. It's just, there's so many other things to talk about with that, but you're yeah. exactly 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. It was a great time. It's really cool to just kind of impromptu do this. And, you know, hopefully Monique will be back soon. And um, I miss her. It was just, it was an honor to step in for the great Monique Duzon. So, yes, there is only one. Well, with that, friends, thank you so much. We hope you have a good week and make sure to share this teaching with a friend and family member that you think might benefit from it. Good night and God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.